Amen. Thank you so very much, Chuck, for that. I hope you have your Bibles this morning. I'd love for you to join me in Matthew chapter number 28. Matthew chapter number 28. We're going to look at Matthew's account of the resurrection. Uh, happy Resurrection Sunday to each one of you. To our guest, we're delighted that you're with us. Thank you for being with us. I hope that you will take the time to uh, fill out a guest registration card and go by the Welcome Center. And I have a gift there I'd like to give you. Also, thinking about gifts, let me remind you that today uh, is the beginning of our prayer journey. We're, there's 35 days starting today, between today and when our revival starts on May the 6th. And we have a prayer journal, a 35-day prayer journal we're asking the church to go through. Uh, if you'll stop by the Welcome Center and pick one of those up, you can start your journey today, and that will lead you all the way up to the first day uh, of uh, uh, our revival with Dr. Rick Corum. So we're looking forward to him being with us, and we hope that you'll take that journey with us and with me as uh, I start today as well. Well, if you found your place in Matthew chapter number 28, if you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning? Resurrection Sunday, the day that sets us apart from any other Sunday, amen? I mean, what other religion has a risen Savior? We're the only ones. Thank be unto God for Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse number 1 of chapter 28. The Bible says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Now, uh, if you're from Alabama, some call it the sepulchers. Uh, us normal folks know that to be the tomb, okay? So they come to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And let me say something parenthetically right there. The word angel of the Lord, uh, for the angel of the Lord, you see that. Some say that's a theophany or a Christophany, a pre-incarnate Christ there is sitting there on the tomb. Uh, whichever that may be, we see the, the angel had some activity there, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Look at verse number 3. The Bible says, His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which, is cru which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulture with fear and great joy and did run and to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, uh, behold, Jesus met them saying, All hail. And they came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, there uh, shall they see me. You may be seated for prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Thank you so very much, Lord, for it. I pray in the name and through the blood of Jesus that your word would speak truth into our hearts today. Lord, I pray that I'd preach like a dying man to dying people. I ask you that you would anoint these lips of clay this morning. And God, I pray, Father, the best that I know how, yielding myself to you, that you would use me as your instrument of grace to preach the word of the living God. God, I pray that you would uh, encourage all the saints. Everyone that's here, I pray, would get an encouragement from this word. I pray in the name of Jesus you would challenge each one of us that are here today. God, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would save that one that's lost, that doesn't know you as personal Savior and Lord. We love you and we thank you for this day. I ask that you'd be with us now as we look into your word. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Did you hear about that Sunday school teacher? She was teaching four-year-olds. And as she was teaching four-year-olds, she asked the, the class, the group of four-year-olds, she said, uh, who, who knows what today is? And Mick, a little four-year-old girl, raised her hand. She said, today's Easter. And the teacher said, that's exactly right. I'm so proud of you. You did. That's a wonderful. Today is Easter. Now, class, let me ask you another question. Can anybody tell me what Easter was about? The same little girl raised her hand and started shaking real hard. Said, ooh, 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 I know, I know. It was the day that Jesus rose from the grave and he came out of the tomb. And the teacher got so excited she was going to congratulate that child. And just before she started to congratulate that child, that child said, but if he goes out and sees his shadow, he goes back in for seven more weeks. <laughs> Thank God he came out the third day and he didn't go back in. To God be the glory. This morning, I want us to focus on the activities of the angel. The activities of of the angel. When we read about the resurrection story, we, we see here in this passage that humanity was not the only ones that sent an ambassador to the tomb that day. Heaven also sent an ambassador. Sent an ambassador to the tomb that was the angel, and that angel proclaimed the good news that Jesus was not dead, he's alive. That's the same proclamation that you and I must make and need to make every day with our life as well as with our language. So I want you to notice with me this morning the activities of the angel. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice here in the text is I want you to notice that he rolled the stone. The angel rolled the stone. Look at verse number two. The Bible says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. The first thing we find out in this text is that the angel rolled the stone away. And the Bible says that he sat upon it. Now when we were to look at Mark's account of this, Mark tells us that while the women made their way to the tomb to finish preparing the body of Jesus for burial, one of their concerns, according to Mark, was who's going to remove the tomb. Who's going to move that stone out of the way? Who's going to roll it so that we can get in it? You see, the stone there represented an obstacle from the ladies getting in to see Jesus. Dear friend, I've met over the course of my ministry many, many people that have had tremendous stones in their lives that prevented them from getting to Jesus. Dear friend, I'm here to tell you today that Jesus Christ, not only through this angel rolled this stone away, but Jesus Christ has the power to roll the stones away in your life today. What stones have I met through the years? Well, I've met several of them. Let me give you three. One of the stones or obstacles that I've met over the course of my ministry, I've met the obstacle of your past. Many people will not come to Jesus Christ because of their past. They think about their past and the regrets that they have in their past. They think about in, the, in their past and they say, How could God, how could God love someone like me? I'll never forget, I met a military man one time and I was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. He says, I just don't see how God would love somebody like me. I know the things that I did. I know the things that are in my past, the regrets, the things that I'm not happy about, the shame, the guilt. I, I know about all those things, and I know God can't love somebody like me. God can't save somebody like me. Oh, listen to me, dear friend. According to the Word of God, let God's Word be true and every man a liar. The Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The fact of the matter is simply this. Jesus Christ... 
Christ can save you all the way to the uttermost, regardless of your past, regardless of where you've been. God loves you so much that he died on Calvary's cross, was buried, and rose again the third day so that you can have eternal life. Don't let the obstacle of the stone of your past prevent you from coming to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. Number two, I've also met individuals that not only have allowed their past to become an obstacle, I've also seen individuals that allowed their attitude to become an obstacle in coming to Jesus Christ. Here in just a moment, I'm going to give a public invitation. I'm going to invite you to come to Jesus. I'm going to invite you to come and give your heart to Christ. Invite you to accept Him as your personal Savior and Lord. During this next hour, at the 11 o'clock hour, we'll have five people uh, who've been saved, who've given their heart to Christ. They're going to be baptized. Dear friend, I'm telling you today, the fact of the matter, when Jesus Christ saves you, He changes you. Don't let your attitude to neglect or reject Jesus Christ today be a stumbling block, be a stone, if you will, be an obstacle in your life. When Christ died on Calvary's cross, He died for your stinking attitude. He loves you, and He wants to save you. I've also met individuals over the course of my ministry that have allowed their hurts to prevent them to come to Christ. Their hurts have been an obstacle, a stone, if you will, where they do not come to Christ. And they say something like this. If God is so loving, if God is so kind, if God is so gracious, if God is so good, why? Why did my mother have to die? Why did my son have to die? Why am I hurting so much? Why was there abuse in my family? Why? If God is so loving, why did he not create a perfect world where we can live in harmony and peace? And my answer to that, dear friend, is just simply this. He did. He did. He created a perfect world. And he put two people whom he loved dearly in that world. And he told those individuals, Adam and Eve, he said, Look, I love you so much that I didn't cause you to be robots. I'm giving you a choice. You can worship and serve me, the creator of the universe, or you can go your own way. And then how might we do that? How might we go our own way? He said, You can eat of any tree you want to, but of that tree you cannot eat. And what did mankind do? We ate of the tree. We, you see, we made the choice. God made a perfect world, and we messed it up. So we find here that when we get to this passage of Scripture and we see that the angel rolled the stone, we see this obstacle was removed. And this obstacle to the ladies was an exclamation point on the sentence of death. The stone said, Jesus is gone forever. Thank God that the Lord took care of that stone. He rolled that stone away, not so Jesus could come out, but so that everybody else could go in and see that he is who he says he is. He is alive, and the tomb is empty forever. One obstacle of faith, the stone was rolled away, noting that the Bible is true concerning who Jesus is. What does the Bible say? Who does the Bible say Jesus is? Well, in the book of Genesis, the Bible says Jesus is our creator. In Exodus, it says he's our Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he is the water in the desert. In Deuteronomy, he is, the, he is our eagle's wings from which we are delivered. In Joshua, he's the commander of the Lord's army. In Judges, he's the Lord of peace. In Ruth, we find he's our redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our prophet and our salvation. In First and Second Kings, he is the builder of the temple and the reigning king. In First and Second Chronicles, he's the son of David, but he's also the son of God. In Ezra, he is our priest. In Nehemiah, he's the one that restores what is broken. 
In Esther, he's the protector of his people. In Job, he's the mediator between God and man. In Psalms, he is our song. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's the meaning of life. In the Song of Solomon, he's the author of faithful love. In Isaiah, he's our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. In Jeremiah, he's the weeping Messiah. In Lamentations, he assumes, that, he assumes the position of God who restores his wrath for the day of judgment. In Ezekiel, he's the son of man. In Daniel, he's the son of God in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's a faithful husband when we run away from him. In Joel, he's the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he is the one that delivers justice to the oppressed. In Obadiah, he's mighty to save. In Jonah, he is the great missionary. In Micah, he casts our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. In Nahum, he proclaims the future world peace. In Habakkuk, he crushes injustice. In Zephaniah, he's the warrior who saves. In Haggai, he restores our worship. In Zechariah, he is the Lord, God, King of the earth. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness. In, but we find in Matthew, he's the Messiah who is king. In Mark, he is the Messiah who is the servant. In Luke, he is the Messiah who is the deliverer. In John, he's the Messiah, God in the flesh. In Acts, he's the Spirit of God that dwells among his people. In Romans, he's the power of God unto salvation. In First and Second Corinthians, he's the conqueror over death, hell, and the grave. And we find in Galatians, he is our inheritance. In Ephesians, he's our peace. In Philippians, he's our God that supplies all of our needs. We know that in Colossians, he holds the supreme position of things. In First and Second Thessalonians, he's our comfort and returning king. In First and Second Timothy, he's our crown of righteousness and our helper. In Titus, he's our hope. In Philemon, he's our friend that sticks closer than a brother. We know that in also we find that in Hebrews, he's the high priest. In James, he's a great physician. In First and Second Peter, he's our hope and the restorer of all things. In First Second and third John. He's our love, our Christ, our prosperity. In Jude, he is one coming with 10,000 in his wings. And in Revelation, he's Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. He's coming again and every eye shall see him. He's alive, he's risen, and he's alive. Don't let the obstacles in your life prevent you from believing who Jesus is. Number two. Not only do we find here in the text that the angel rolled the stone, but there's a second thing. The second thing we find here is that he relaxed the soldiers. You see it there. Notice what the Bible says. Verse 3. The Bible says his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. Verse 4. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. As dead men. Here's another obstacle. Uh, we find not only are the obstacles in your life that looks like stones, but there's also some obstacles in your lives that looks like an army. There are obstacles that, I, that take place in our lives that look like an army. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, I, I've met people over the course of my, of my ministry who would not come to Jesus because they would look out amongst their lives and they would simply say, there's an army and I can't come to Jesus right now. What are those armies? Army number one that I've noticed is the army, if you will, of addictions. Addiction can keep you awake or can be an obstacle from preventing you to come to Jesus Christ. I've met individuals that had a hard time coming to Christ because of alcohol. 
They allowed alcohol to be an obstacle in their life. And that obstacle prevented them from coming to Jesus Christ. Dear friend, listen to me very carefully. Jesus is not wanting you to put down that alcohol first and come to Christ. He wants you to come just like you are. You come to Him just like you are. You come to Him and let Him help you put that alcohol down. He can help put the bottle down if you'll come to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Number two, I also meet individuals that have the addiction of pornography. They struggle with the fact that they can't get over it everywhere you turn, to the right and to the left, everywhere in our society. We are living in such a sexually overcharged uh, culture today that you can't even buy a hamburger without it implying some innuendo about sexual relationships. Oh, listen to me, dear friend. The fact of the matter is simply this. Don't let the obstacle of pornography and your addiction to that prevent you from coming to Jesus Christ. He wants you to come to Him. He can help you if you'll only come to Christ. I've met individuals also that struggle with drug addiction. They've experienced the obstacle of drug addiction in their life, and it looks like an army in their lives. I'm here to tell you because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross, because of the relationship that we can have with God. You see, we got it all wrong today. We look out amongst the crowd and we say, you know, there's just many ways to heaven. If you, if, you be the best, if you be the best Catholic you can be, you'll go to heaven. If you'll be the best Buddhist you can be, you'll go to heaven. If you'll be the best Islamist you can be, you'll go to heaven. There's only one problem with that. It's not in the Bible. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You see, dear friend, I'm not talking about a religion. When we think about it, when we think about Jesus Christ coming out of the tomb, he squashed religion of Judaism and said, I'm the only way for you to get to heaven. I'm the Lamb of God that died for your sins. He can take your drug addiction. He can forgive you. He can take your porn addiction. He can forgive you. He can take your alcoholism. He can forgive you. But you've got to come just as you are. Not only have I found in my ministry those that have the soldier obstacles of addiction, but I've also found another. Some won't come to Jesus Christ because they have the soldier obstacles of doubt. They doubt. They doubt that Jesus really is the only way. Oh, dear friend, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the one and only way. You go to the tombs of others, those religious proponents, and you will find that they are still dead. There's no life in them. There's no life in the fact that that, uh, Catholicism or or Judaism or, if you would, Buddhism or, or whatever. You fill in the blanks. Only through Jesus Christ can one be born again. And so we find here that he relaxed the soldiers. He relaxed these soldiers in their midst. In fact, in Matthew chapter 27, the Bible tells us that the chief priests and the Pharisees were concerned that the prophecies of Jesus might be true. And so they posted the guards out and put a seal uh, there on the stone. And in doing so, these rank infidels, if you would, believed more of the Bible than many of those that followed after Jesus. 
And so when they sealed it with Pilate's seal and they posted the company of guards there at the door, we know that as the angel came down and that detachment of soldiers stood there, they were an obstacle between the saints entering into the tomb of Jesus. However, when that angel looked out there and sat upon that stone, the Bible tells us that they began to shake and the Bible says they became as dead men. He made short work of those soldiers. Uh, the Bible hard, these, these battle-hardened men fainted like a bunch of teenagers at a Bruno Mars concert done Jesus Christ can remove the obstacles in your life when those soldiers fell down and relaxed when that angel performed that work that he did he was proving once again that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And he removed the obstacles of getting into the tomb. From A to Z, Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is. To the architect, he's the chief cornerstone. To the baker, he's the living bread. To the carpenter, he's the door. To the doctor, he's the great physician. To the educator, he is the rabbi, the great teacher. To the florist, he's the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. To the guard, he is the one that holds the key to hell and death. To the horticulturalist, he is the true vine. To the inventor, he is the new and living way. To the jeweler, he is the pearl of great price. To the king, he is the king of kings. To the lawyer, he's the judge and advocate. To the musician, he is the song in the night. To the newspaper reporter, he is the good news. To the optometrist, he is the eyes that are upon us. To the preacher, he's the word of God. To the quilter, he's the comforter. To the rower, he is the living water. To the sculptor, he's the living stone. To the trooper, he is the law. To the undertaker, he's the power over death, hell, and the grave. To the volcanist, he is the Holy Ghost with fire. To the writer, he's the author and finisher of our faith. To the x-ray technician, he is the image of the firstborn. To the yard man, he's the plant that's renewed. To the zoologist, he is the Lamb of God and the tribe of Judah. From A to Z, Jesus is who he says he was. He's the son of the living God. We find in the text, he relaxed the soldiers. But then there's a third thing that happens here in this passage. We see a third thing here that the angel did. The angel also reassured the saints. He reassured the saints. What did he reassure the saints of? Well, he reassured the saints of several things, and I hope this will be an encouragement to you. Notice them if you will. And number one, the first thing we find here is that he reassured them of is he reassured them of the past. Look at what the Bible says in verse 5. The Bible says, And the angel answered and said unto the woman, or the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. Now, if you've got your pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, whatever it is you write with, I would underline that word, which was crucified. Why? Well, because this is the angel reassuring those that were coming into the tomb of the past. Jesus Christ really was crucified. On that Friday... He died on the cross for our sins. And as he died on the cross for our sins, he fulfilled Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. That says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. 
There's no forgiveness unless there's bloodshed. And Jesus Christ shed his blood so that you and I could have eternal life. They were reminded, if you would, of the crucifixion. These ladies needed a reminder that it was true. And the truth is that Jesus was not in the tomb. He emphasized, if you would, the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus had to die in order for your sins to be forgiven. He had to die on Calvary's cross. He reassured them of the past. But watch this. Not only did he reassure them of the past, we also find here in the text that he also reassured them of the present. He reassured them of the present. The Bible tells us here in verse number 6, the Bible says he is not here for he is risen. We find that he reminds them of the present. He's not here. Uh, the way we'd say it here in the south is he ain't here. He ain't here. Y'all come on in. He ain't here. Y'all go and look and you see it. Jesus is not here. And so we find that Jesus not being there, he's describing, if you would, the present state of our Savior. A dead Savior can save no one. A dead Savior is only dead. He may have died for our sins, but a dead Savior is dead. But we don't serve a dead Savior. No, I love that psalmist. We serve a risen Savior, and He's in the world today. Thank God for Jesus Christ, who's the only one that can save our souls and raise up Himself from the dead. He says here and gives us this reassurance of the present. The Bible says in present terms, according to Acts chapter 16, verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Today, you can believe on Jesus Christ and be saved. Not only did the angel reassure them of the present, but there's a third thing here I want you to notice. The angel also reassured them of the promise. Look at what the Bible says in verse 6. He is not here, for he is risen, watch this, as he said. Jesus has been saying he's going to die and rise again the third day. He's been saying it over and over again. He said it in Matthew chapter 12 verse 40. And again in Matthew 16 21. And again in Matthew 17 7. And again in Matthew 17 23. And again in Matthew 20 19. And again in Matthew 26 31. He said it in Luke 2 19. He said it in Luke 10 17. The resurrection should not have caught them off guard. They should knew Jesus said exactly what he was going to do. The, the crucifixion should not have taken them by surprise. Thank God for the resurrection. But let me show you another thing here. He reassured them not only of the promise. He reassured them not only of the present and of the past. But he also reassured them of the proof. Notice what the Bible says in verse 6 again. He says in the latter part come. See the place where the Lord lay. He gave them a public invitation to come and see where the Lord was laying. Now that's past tense. He was laying in there. He's not anymore. Look, I want you to see where he was laying. Notice what the scripture tells us here. The Bible says there that this, this is proof. Proof that Jesus is alive. Now why did this happen? So, this is so vitally important. We find here in this passage of scripture the proof of the resurrection is where people get hung up the most. This is important, and the invitation from the angel is important for two reasons. Number one, the first one is there's no sign of human intervention. What do you mean? Look at what the Bible says again. 
The Bible says he's not here. He's risen as he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. He's simply saying, I want you to come in here and look. And when you walk into the tomb, and there is the bed on which the body of Jesus was lying. It's no longer there. But there in its place is a shroud. There in its place is a wrapping. And it is just laying there. It's not untangled. It's not unwrapped. And there at the top of that bed is a napkin, if you will. What do I do with my hanky? Uh, there's a napkin, and that napkin is folded up, and it's laying there at the head. Now, why are these two things vitally important? Important, number one, because it proves that nobody tampered with the body of Jesus. You remember Lazarus? When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Can you see Lazarus hopping out of that grave? I bet he was complaining. I can't believe he didn't meet me at the door. Come on, guys. Get me out of here. Loose him, the Bible says. Loose him. That means take off the bandages. Take off the wrap. Take off the shroud. Dear friend, Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man. We see the deity of Christ and the fact that the shroud in which was encapsulating Jesus, a cocoon, if you would, was laying intact like he just got up and it was there and the body was not in it. It just collapsed. Nobody tampered with that. Jesus simply got up. Number two. The second thing we find in here. It's not only that nobody tampered with it and we see the divinity of Jesus, but we also see the humanity of Jesus. Can you imagine? Jesus, he rises up, he gets up, he sits up there, and as he sits up on that day, he still has the napkin wrapped around his head. He showed us his divinity by, by rising himself from the tomb, rising himself out of that grave, rising up out of that cocoon, and it collapsing, and then he took the towel off. The Bible says that as he took it off, it was neat and neatly folded and placed. Now, why is that important? It's important for this reason. In Bible times, when you laid around the table, you know they'd lay there at the table with their feet sticking out, and they would eat on their side. But if you had to go to the, uh, well, if you were done, if you were done with the meal and you were all finished, you would take your napkin and you'd just wad it up. And you'd throw it down. And you were done. You're not going to eat anymore. You're not coming back to the table. You're all finished. But if you just had to go to the restroom. Or if you just had to step out for a minute. You would take your napkin. And you would fold it up. Nice and neat. And you would place it on the table. And that would signify to everyone that was around the table. And those that were serving. That you were coming back. Oh, listen, friend. When those entered the tomb that day, and they looked there where the body of Jesus lay, they found a folded napkin at his head, signifying that I've just stepped out for a little bit, but I'm coming back real soon. The proof. The promise. The present. But let me show you another thing very quickly. The Bible also tells us here in the text that he reassured them of the plan. The angel reassured them of the plan. What do you mean? Look at verse 7 and 8. The Bible tells us here in the text, he says, And go quickly and tell my disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. 
Uh, we, tell, we see it again in verse number 10. The Bible says, Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell. There seems to be a theme throughout here. Anytime Jesus shows up now from this point forward, he's going to be telling individuals to go tell, go tell, go tell, go tell what? Go tell he's alive. Go tell he's risen. He reassures them, if you will, of the plan. What's the plan? The plan is to go tell. The plan is to go tell that there's a way for you to escape hell and get to heaven. And that plan is through Jesus Christ. He died on Calvary's cross for your sins. So you don't have to die in your sins and go to hell. The cross is the turning point of humanity. Only by the cross can you come to Jesus Christ. So the plan has not changed. The plan is the same. The plan has always been the same. The plan is for us to go tell. If we have Jesus, if we don't know Jesus Christ as our Savior, the plan is to come see. Come see that the Lord is not there. He is risen. And then once we see the truth, it's our responsibility to go tell. I close with this uh, illustration. Two weeks ago, I was at, uh, in Birmingham at the University of Alabama Hospital. And as I was there, I was visiting with uh, some family members. And as I was visiting with those family members, uh, I got a text saying that we had a church family member in a hospital in Alabama. And uh, I thought that I could get there. And so uh, I inquired about where the hospital was, and I got the hospital name, and I tapped it, typed in the hospital there to Siri while I was talking to the family. And I was a little bit distracted. I was trying to do multitasking and that don't always work out with men. Don't say amen right there. But the fact of the matter is, uh, I typed in the hospital. Uh, when it was time for me to go, I prayed and said my goodbyes to my family members. And I got in the car and I just hit go there on my phone uh, to get the directions to where I was going to the next hospital. And according to the uh, Siri that I was using, the Google Maps or the uh, Apple Maps that I was using there, um, it was only going to be, you know, four minutes. Well, eventually four minutes turned to 15 minutes because she kept saying, you've arrived at your destination, and there was no hospital in sight. I said, bless God, surely that thing's around here somewhere. Surely that thing's around here somewhere. And then finally I said, I've got to find a place where I can get my bearings. I've got to figure out where I'm at because uh, it, the sun's going down, number one. Number two... I, I'm, not in, I'm not in the most wonderful part of Birmingham, Alabama. I know because I lived there when I was younger, but I, I couldn't remember. I've never been in this part. And so I, I got to find somewhere to get in there so I get my story straight. And so I pulled in to the closest place that, that I felt safe, and that was the cemetery there at where, where I was located. <laughs> I've done a lot of funerals as a preacher. I feel, I mean, I'm comfortable there. And then there, and pulled and parked, and... I'm trying to figure out and come to find out I'm really about an hour and a half away. It really wasn't in Birmingham. It was uh, in another part north of Birmingham. And Man, there's just no way I could get there. And I was trying to relay the information to family members and my wife and all and trying to make sure that I was, I'm coming home. It's dark now. It's getting dark, and I'm, I'm ready to come to the house. And so by the time I'm done, I look up when I'm done texting to get to, to go home. I look up, and the gates are locked.
My immediate thought, well, this is another fine mess you got yourself into, preacher. What are you going to do now? And, and I'm not talk- when I say they were locked, I- I'm talking about they're closed. The gates are closed. There's a chain around them, and there's a padlock about that big. I mean, I'm in. I ain't going nowhere. And so I'm sitting there, and about that time, a truck pulls up beside me. And I look to my left at the truck, and I roll the window down, and I'm thinking the whole time, this is it, Shane, you're dead. You're going home. And the man says, my name's so-and-so. I'm the security guard here. Are you waiting for somebody? You saw my tag, right? I'm from Georgia. I said, yes, sir. I said, no. I said, I'm not, I'm not waiting on anybody. I said, you're, you're not going to believe this. I said, I'm a preacher. And he looked at me and said, really? <laughs> I said, yeah. And then we tattled a small talk there. And, and I said, uh, look, I, I'm not waiting on anybody. I was just trying to get some directions. I, I'm kind of I'm lost. I know where I'm going now. I'm going to heaven. I know that I'm saved, okay? I know that. But as far as this area, I was trying to get to X. And here I am at Y. And... Uh, I just want to go home so I can get some Z's. I mean, that's just really what I'm trying to do. And so he, he said, I tell you what. He said, i got to go over here to this mausoleum. And i got to do a walkthrough over there. But he says, if you'll meet me at the gate, I'll make sure you get out. I roll the window up and I drive immediate to the gate. I'm waiting for this guy. And as soon as he does what he needs to do, he finishes his job. He comes over, gets out of the truck, gets his keys, unlocks the door. He opens the gates so that I can get out. I want you to listen very carefully. I was stuck in that place until somebody let me out. Dear friend, just as I couldn't get out of that cemetery and until that security guard unlocked that lock and took the chains off and opened up the gate, so too I could not get out of the prison of sin until Jesus Christ went to the cross, died, was buried, and rose again. He opened the gate of my sin so that I could come and be saved. Dear friend, what is keeping you in the prison? What obstacle is keeping you in? Jesus has got the keys to hell and death. He's got everything ready. The door is open. Why? Why do you want to stay in the prison? He is risen He's alive, and He gives you life everlasting. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. How does Shane Robertson know that he's going to heaven when he dies? On March 22, 1988, as a 14-year-old boy, I sat in a service much like this, heard an invitation, much like I'm giving you today, to come and to receive Christ as Savior. And the Holy Ghost spoke into my heart with such a capacity, I knew that if I died right there, I would die and go to hell because I didn't know who Jesus Christ was. But on that day, as a 14-year-old boy, I stepped out of the aisle and I walked forward and gave my hand to my principal and gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And I've never been the same since. I know that if I'm saved, I know that right now I'm so saved. Bless God, I could swing over hell on a dry corn stalk. What do you mean, preacher? I mean I'm going to heaven because I got Jesus. What about you? What about you, friend? Do you know where you're going to spend an eternity? I wonder. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, 
I want to give you that same opportunity that was given to me as a 14-year-old boy to trust Jesus Christ as personal Savior. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Whether you're watching in the foyer, whether you're watching by way of video today, whether you're sitting in your living room at home watching there as you're sick and nursing a hurting knee or whatever the case may be, or whether you be right here in this worship center today, why leave this place not knowing where you're going to spend an eternity? Knowing that we're all going to die. Knowing that the Bible says you can spend an eternity with heaven in heaven. Knowing that Jesus has removed all the obstacles. Why don't you come to Christ today? Dear friend, why don't you call out to God and say something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. But I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe you rose again to give me life everlasting. Thank you for saving me. I repent of my sin. And trust you as Savior. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will live for you in Jesus' name. Now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here today and maybe you prayed that prayer to the best of your ability. To the best of your ability, you cried out to God and you asked Him to save you. The very best you knew how, you said, God, I believe that. I believe the Bible. I believe the Word of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose again. I've I've asked you to forgive me today. You got right with God. If you did that today, and you're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dear friend, if you prayed and asked Christ to save you today, why don't you lift your hand up real high so I can thank God for the decision you just made. Lift it up real high and say, that's me. Today I did that. God bless you, sir. Somebody else. Today I asked Jesus to save me. Just lift it up real high and say, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed. I trusted Christ as Savior. Just lift it up real high and say, that's me. I did that today. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the hands that were raised. More importantly, I want to thank you for the hearts that were changed today. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray in the name and through the blood of Jesus, we wouldn't just stop at conversion. I pray today we would move on and grow up in our faith. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, you do a work that only you can do today. Move in a mighty way during this invitation. Lord, there are some here that have obstacles in their life. They're saved. They're born again. They know Jesus Christ as Savior. But the fact of the matter is they've allowed the armies of their attitudes, they've allowed armies in their lives to prevent them from growing up in their faith. God, there are those that believe today that have allowed obstacles to arise inside of them that are preventing them from their spiritual growth. In the name of Jesus, I pray, you would break the bondage, break the yoke around the necks of your people. And I pray, Lord, call it a fresh commitment, a new commitment, a reassurance, or whatever. I pray we'd get right with you and we'd do business with you this hour. God, I love you. And I thank you and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Be with us now in this invitation. Now, church, before I say amen, here's what I want to do. 
If you're here today and you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you raised your hand, you said, I'm not ashamed of Christ. I'm not ashamed of Him. I really believe. I really believe. Today I got saved. If you raised your hand, I want you to look right up here at me this morning. Would you look right up here? Dear friend, did you mean that? You're a brother in Jesus Christ according to the Word of God. You see that gentleman standing right there? He wants to help you. I got a gift I want to give you. It'll help you grow up in your faith. I'm asking you, we're going to stand here in just a minute. There's going to be people that are going to come to the altar. They're going to be praying. I'm going to ask you to come and see that gentleman right there. And just tell him, I prayed what that pastor prayed today. I got saved. I want to love you. I want to help you. My deepest, deepest desire is that you would be a disciple and grow up in Jesus. Not just be converted. I mean, but really grow up. So, dear friend, I want to challenge you, but I can't make you. That's something you've got to do. So, dear friend, I'm going to ask you to come when we all stand here in just a minute. And, dear friend, look here. If you're looking at me right there, I'm going to ask you to come. Would you come? Do the same. Man, God doesn't want you just to be a baby in Jesus your whole life. He wants you to grow up in Christ. In the foyer, you got saved. Don't let the distance be a hindrance to the blessing. Come and let us rejoice with the decision that you made. Dear friend, you're here today and some of you need to get right with God. What a great day, Easter Sunday morning. Some of you need to join the church. Your family's finally here. All right, come on. Would you come and join the church today? Be a part of what God's doing. I'm telling you, God's moving in this place this morning. Would you come and do business with God? Father, in the name of Jesus, have your way in this invitation, I pray. Amen. All right, here we go. Let's all stand. Come on, prayer warriors. You come and pray. Come on, you need to get right with God. Come on. You got saved. Come on. You need to surrender. Come on. You want to join the church? Come on. Come on. Quick. Quickly.
Genesis. We're, we're going to sing this, this next part. He, he holds the stars and he holds my hands with healing uh, hands that bears the scars. We're going to sing that together as a congregation. But maybe you're here and maybe you're just a little bit hesitant. Maybe you're a little bit scared. Maybe you're a little bit afraid. Don't let the obstacle of fear, don't let the obstacle of being afraid hinder you from obeying the Lord. Oh, dear friend, I wish I could come for you. But you see, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, that's a personal thing. A personal relationship that you've got to start. And that He's already engaged and He wants you to come. Dear friend, on this verse, if you want to join our church, you come. If you want to surrender for baptism, you come. Or maybe you'd just like for somebody to come pray with you. You come. Whatever your need, you come on this verse. Father, have your way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.